Hey everybody, welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. Before we jump into today's content, I want to stop and thank Audible for sponsoring today's podcast. Not a day goes by that I am not on Audible, and if you have not checked out Audible, I've got some great news. You can get a 30-day, 30-day free trial if you'll go to audible.com, audible.com slash leadership. Now, on today's podcast, we're going to conclude our two-part conversation with Clay Scroggins on the topic of how to lead when you are not in charge. Well, Clay, the first time I heard you talk about this topic, I thought to myself, this should be a book. And fortunately, you were thinking along those same lines. Uh, You found an extraordinary publisher. And so this August, the book comes out. It's entitled How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. The subtitle is Leveraging Influence When You Lack Authority. Leveraging Influence When You Lack Authority, which is what we talked a little bit about last month. We're going to pick up on that theme today. Now, as we've said, this is a really, really important topic because very few people, very few people are ever actually completely in charge of anything. Although there are a lot of people perhaps a lot of people in our audience that think, no, that's not the case, and one day I'm actually going to be in charge. So statistically speaking, there are far far more people not in charge than who are in charge. So the good news is you have an enormous, you have an enormous audience that's exciting. for that this is book. Exciting. Um, and I, we've talked about this. I think men and women with a strong leadership gift but who are not in charge are oftentimes tempted to just bide their time. That's They're just right. going to wait, to wait for the day when they hold all the cards, to wait for the day when they are actually in charge. And we've talked about the fact that that's a huge mistake because um, people in my position and now people in your position, we're not looking for the men and women who are waiting for an opportunity. We're looking for the men and women who recognize their current opportunity and are actually are actually doing something with it. And that's what we talked about last month. Talk a little bit about uh, those two things, and then we'll move on with this new material. Sure. Well, thank you for setting it up that way. I, I agree. I feel like when I, when I have experienced waiting myself, it feels like I'm just sitting on my hands. I'm just biding my time, trying to wait until it's my moment to lead because we buy that lie that I've got to be in charge in order to lead. But ultimately, when we do that, we waste opportunities. We waste opportunities that are in front of us to be able to lead and cultivate influence to make a difference in whatever organization we're in. And then secondly, we also reduce our own measure of, of influence or leadership. I, I really believe that everyone everywhere has been given a measure of leadership. And when I wait, I don't become more of a leader. I actually become less of a leader, which for me, looking back on my opportunities in leadership, it's just it's filled with regrets, regrets of moments when I've waited. And a lot of times in, in church world, we wait out of honor or respect for the people that we work for. And the truth is you can have honor and you can have respect and you can still have drive and you can still have ambition and you can still figure out how to cultivate influence exactly where you are. So yes, last month, what we talked about was what we are in charge of, which is ultimately we are in charge of ourselves. And so the first thing I've got to do is take responsibility for my own leadership and I've got to lead myself well. And then the second thing that I think that any leader, no matter where you are, no matter how much authority you don't have, one of the best things you can do is to choose to have an attitude of positivity because it's infectious and it it will eventually, it will become a wind in the sail of your boss. Yeah. Now, Clay, in the book, you talk about developing the habit of thinking critically, which is different than being Critical. Very different. Yeah. Um, don't you think it's true that leaders who aren't in charge are often quick to criticize? Yes. And I think part of that is 
isn't it true? It's it's easy to know what needs to be done when you don't actually have the authority to do it. That's right. I mean, I've sat. I remember sitting in so many meetings thinking, mm-hmm. "Wow, if you know, if I was in charge, if I was in charge, if I was in charge, I had such extraordinary clarity." Well, that's because I didn't have the authority and I didn't have the responsibility. So, within that tension, you talk about the importance of learning. To, to think critically. Talk, talk a little bit about that. Let me just say before I jump into that, I, I do completely agree that critical thinking is such a skill that all of us need to figure out. But last month, one of the things we talked about was, was how important our attitude is. And I, I know a lot of times for me, that, uh, that makes me frustrated because I think I can't just say yes to everything all the time. That's not what, that's not what leading when you're not in charge is really about. I, I saw a headline recently about the millennial generation. Everyone's writing articles about millennials. And this, this headline read, millennials, are they a group of misguided optimists or are they a group of rainbow puking unicorns? <laughs> and that is an image that has stuck out in my mind for ever since I saw that headline that no one wants a rainbow puking unicorn, someone who's just overly positive, who's saying yes to every idea. Oh, that's the best idea. That's so great. That's going to be wonderful. No, we we all want people who have the skill of being able to think critically because ultimately what that's doing is thinking critically is making things better. And for our organization, I love that that's such a value. We value so deeply progress and we value making next week better than this week and making the next camp better than this camp and the next the next production better than the one we just did. And in order to do that, we have to be people who are thinking critically. I really see critical thinkers as doing three things really well. They Number one, they notice things. They, they pick up on things. And you, every one of you that is listening to this, you've done this before when you've walked into a restaurant and you've thought, why are the lights so dim? Or why are they so bright? Or why is the music so loud? Or why is it so quiet? And you just naturally notice things. It's what critical thinkers do. And then secondly, they question things. They ask a lot of questions of curiosity of what would happen if we changed this lever? What would happen if we moved this forward a little bit more? And then thirdly, they connect things. So they notice things, they question things, and then they connect things. They make connections between the things that they've noticed, the answers to the questions that they've asked, and the outcomes that they're looking for. And the thing is, those those are characteristics that are true, I think, of anybody with, with leadership gifts. The, the tension comes along when a person feels like, well, I don't have the authority to actually to talk, to go to your three things. I don't really have the authority to do anything about what I've noticed. Right. I don't have the authority to speak into the things I have questions about. And I don't have the authority to help the people above me connect these dots. And so in that moment, there's a decision to be made. And right. the decision is, am I going to push ahead and try to move ahead and influence ahead anyway? Or am I going to throw up my hands and say, yeah, well, one day when I'm in charge, I'll be able to do something about all of these <laughs> observations. Right. So what do you say to the person who feels like every time I bring it up, I get shut down. Every time I try to connect the dots, nobody wants to talk to me. And there's this, they're right on the verge of just saying, you know what, I'm just, I'm just tempted to sit back and again, play in my own little sphere of influence, but I'm not really even that motivated to do much in the sphere of influence I have. I would say take a different approach. Maybe the last approach you took uh, didn't work because of the way you handled it. But ultimately, every you know, the head coach of every team wants the team to win, and the leader of every organization wants the organization to get better. 
But a lot of times we have to work around the ego of the leader and the pride of the leader and the feelings of the leader. But that doesn't mean that we should just throw up our hands yeah. and say, well, I'm not going to try. I completely agree. Approach is everything. I mean, approach is everything. It's not just the content. Approach is everything. Everybody you know, in our audience who's married, you get this. Everybody <laughs> in our audience with kids, you get this. If you, don't yes. take the right repro- if you don't take the right approach with your spouse, you end up apologizing even though you were correct. If you don't take the right approach with your kids, nothing happens even though you're correct. So I absolutely approaches everything. So next time you're in a meeting and you have a moment where you go, hey, I have noticed something. I have been curious, asked a question. I've connected something. You need to think through how are you going to approach your boss with this? How are you going to approach the person who ultimately uh, is in control of the decision that's made? And it's in that moment that you have to decide, have I cultivated enough influence to be able to move the needle to be able to move this meeting forward the direction I think I have. And if you give it a shot and you get shut down, the key is is to get back up again and to say, hey, I'm going to try again, but maybe I'm going to try in a different way. Yeah, I heard you say one time that the line between critical thinking and being critical is razor thin. Yes, yes. For most people, we all desire to have the skill of being able to think critically. The problem is is that we so quickly – lean toward just being critical. And we think, well, that's a rotten idea. That's a terrible, that's a terrible decision. That's never going to work. And so we sit in meetings and it gives us power to say no to something because it makes us feel like that we have power. Frank Blake, who former CEO of Home Depot, you've had him on your podcast. I was asking him about this topic and Frank said, as an attorney, my job is to find what's wrong with things And I had to learn that issue identification alone doesn't move anything forward. Wow. Which I thought that is so powerful. That's amazing. He said issue identification alone doesn't move anything forward. And as a leader, I don't want to be surrounded by people who just identify issues. No. That's exhausting. Yes. Even, Even when they're absolutely right. When they're right, I don't necessarily feel better. When they're right and have something to add to it in terms of, you know, how to move forward or how to address what they're right about. That's different. That's powerful. Issue identification alone does not move anything forward. Now, Clay, when you shared this content with our staff the first time, you spent a good deal of time talking about the importance of rejecting passivity. Um, We've talked a little bit about that, but would you dive a little bit deeper into that whole tension? Sure. The reason why that's so important to me is because our natural gravitational pull when we're not in charge is to be passive. The reason why is because I feel out of control. I feel like I don't have control. And when I feel like I don't have control, I typically drift toward passivity. So classic example would be a meeting happens, seems like we agree on a decision, everybody leaves the meeting, everybody puts their hand in the middle of the meeting and says, all right, decision on three, ready, one, two, three. And then we all leave the meeting. And as a person that loves progress, I go, okay, well, I'm going to start working on the decision we just made. I'm going to start putting legs to the idea that we just said we're all going to try. And then what naturally happens, everyone has experienced this, but a week later, two weeks later, the boss swoops back in and says, hey, we're not going to do that the way we said we were going to do it. And that's naturally frustrating because I feel like, well, I've spent time thinking about this. I've spent time working on this. We've sometimes spent dollars executing the decision we've made. And what happens is, is the next time we have a meeting and decide on an idea, I'm going to be less likely to go work on it because I feel out of control. I feel like, well, 
if he or she swoops back in and changes the decision this time, I don't want to have lost anything. And so I just get passive. And we have to work through that. We have to get over that because every, every organization has an example like that, multiple examples that happen all the time. Well, fortunately, in your book, you model what you teach because you don't just complain about that <laughs> dynamic. You actually offer a solution. You call it the CPR solution. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I gave it that name just because it, it does feel like resuscitation. It feels like you're resuscitating <laughs> yeah. your activity in a sense, uh, and it is an acronym for three words that, that you would choose, that you would plan, and that you would respond. You, you would have CPR. You would put some CPR to your passivity or to your activity, I should say. Uh, the first one, the C, that you would choose. What, what I've been trying to do is to initiate and to choose something, to, to pick up anything because ultimately, I'm not going to add any value if I'm not working on anything. And the best thing I could do tomorrow is to say, hey, what is not currently being worked on? And I'm going to pick that up and I'm going to work on it. I, I saw an example of this recently. Uh, there was a guy that works on our middle school team at one of our other campuses. And he had done everything that he was supposed to do in his job. He had recruited as many volunteer leaders as he had done, needed to recruit. He had trained those leaders as great as he could train them. And in his spare time, he said, hey, are we doing anything for dads and middle school sons? And everybody looked around the room and said, well, no, we're not currently working on that. He said, well, I'm going to choose to work on something and find something that could be helpful for middle school, dad, middle school sons and their fathers. And he created an event that was a pig roast which every middle schooler would love to roast a pig. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who wouldn't? And it's then the he, next thing closest to bacon. So that's exactly everybody right. Everybody wants to be there. That's exactly right. And he invited all of their fathers, and he sent all of the dads a letter that they could read, they could personalize, and then read this letter to all of their sons, and it became a smashing hit. Now we do it at all of our campuses, and it's not because it was on his job description. It's because he had created, as we talked about last month, an oasis of excellence with what he was supposed to be working on. In his margin, he picked up something that needed help. He, he chose something, and he picked something that made a huge, has made a huge difference in our organization. Uh, the P is that we would plan well uh, after we pick something up, that we would actually plan that we would put a plan in place on how we're going to execute that. I, I've noticed this, that in most meetings, even a half-baked idea usually wins because no other ideas have usually been in the oven. Yeah. That if you yeah. come to a meeting with a bit of a plan, you usually are going to win the meeting. The, the meeting's going to end usually choosing your idea. Well, and you it says to your supervisor, in. you put, put a lot of time into this. That's you, right. You didn't stop at simply being critical. That's right. Yes, and for every single one of us who's not in charge, we need to make sure that we never just present problems to our bosses, but that we present solutions that have plans attached to them. So CPR, that you would choose something, that you would plan well. And then thirdly, the R, that you would respond to your boss. Uh, I, I've, if you've ever been to a football practice, um, Andy, I know looking at me, you may think I played a lot of football, but I did not. I am small of frame <laughs> and not very athletic. But I have seen uh, football. Seen this. I've seen this. I've seen this. I have heard about this. But it's amazing when you watch assistant coaches at football practices, they are anticipating what the head coach wants to do next. They're constantly anticipating. They're responding 
to the head coach. And so they're seeing, okay, it looks like he's going to want to work on defense next, so let's get the drill set up on what we're going to do with the defense. And that's what essentially every single one of us who's not in charge needs to do as well. We need to respond to what our boss cares most about, which may be what your boss thinks is most important right now. It may be what your boss is most worried about. It may be what is the most frequently discussed problem in the meetings you're in. But if you can attach a little bit of anticipation and response to what your boss cares about, I think it will help extinguish your passivity. Well, and not only that, again, it says to your supervisor or your boss, this is somebody who's not only being having critical thoughts and critical observations, it's somebody who has, again, as you said, put a plan together, put some thought to this. And, you know, on a personal level, you're for me. I mean, again, I want to be surrounded by people who aren't just for the organization. I want to feel like they're for me. So anybody who anticipates, you know, my response or is most worried about what most worries me, yes. I'm going to give them my attention, and I'm probably going to give them more authority. So, you know, all of this plays into this whole idea of how to get more authority and how to lead when you're not necessarily in charge. Hey, Clay, before we jump into this final behavior for leading when you are not in charge, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, for our audience members and our audience members only, Audible is offering a free 30-day trial, and thus this is the perfect way to engage with the books we discuss on the podcast and hopefully engage with your book as well, Clay. As most of you know, Audible is the leading provider of audiobooks with titles across all kinds of literature. Uh, there's fiction, nonfiction, there are periodicals, and of course, there is a plethora of leadership material available on Audible. If you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you know that I'm a huge Audible fan. And one of the reasons is none of us have time to keep up with all the fantastic books that are on the market today. And Audible allows us to do that. In fact, most of the folks around here are listening to two or three books at a time. And thanks to Audible, we can do that. If you still haven't signed up for Audible, the good news is you can do a 30-day free trial, and I highly recommend you do this. Just go to audible.com slash leadership and check it out, audible.com slash leadership. Which brings us to this overarching tension, leading always eventually requires to changing. If you're going to lead something, yes. something's going to change. And as you know, Clay, when you're not in charge, but you know that something needs to change. You know, again, a lot of folks just throw up their hands because it's too risky. Because when you start trying to introduce change, especially big change, it's risky. It, it, it's always risky. But for those who aren't content to just throw up their hands and they want to lead through even though they're not in charge, which requires introducing change, um, which is risk, you know, what do they do? You know, what do you suggest? It, you know, you feel like, gosh, if I'm, if I'm going to push on this, it's going to require change. People resist change. Even People who are for the health of the organization resist change. Change is just something we naturally resist. So speak into that. I would love to. One of the ways I'd love to talk about it is through a story that I use in the book. I, I interviewed uh, one of Chick-fil-A's operators. His name is Shane Todd. Uh, I, I, um, I went to college at Georgia Tech. Shane uh, lives in Athens, went to college at Georgia. So he and I are predisposed to not like each other, but we have built a great <laughs> friendship. And what he's done is extraordinary. I, I he's, he's known as a pioneer in Chick-fil-A's world. He, he's an operator of a local store, but I, I asked one of, the, one of their senior leaders at their central organization about Shane Todd, and he said, Shane is always doing something new. Some of it is legal and some of it is not. 
And I don't think he meant legal as in unlawful. He just meant some of it's sanctioned by right, Chick-fil-A and some right. of it's not. But he's just always trying new things. And one of the things he tried uh, about 10 years ago was uh, a milkshake. Uh, Chick-fil-A, for the longest time, just served the ice dream, which was their ice cream. And customers were constantly requesting a milkshake. And Shane ultimately got tired of their menu strategy team not having rolled out a milkshake nationwide. And so he said, well, we're going to figure it out for our store. And so he pulled the levers of creativity and innovation at his own store and came up with a way to meet that customer demand through what they had in their store. And so he just bought some Hershey syrup and some cool, some whipped cream and cherries to put on top of the milkshake. And he he created a milkshake before they launched it nationwide. A couple of the things I learned from Shane talking to him about this was he used this as an answer to something that Dan Cathy was very passionate about. Dan Cathy was very passionate at the time and still is, but had just been starting to talk a lot about second mile service and how they wanted to create a great customer experience. And so he used this change to be an answer to something Dan Cathy was already interested in. Or perhaps he used it as an excuse to do something he wanted to do. And is there a difference between the two? No, I'll let the listeners no, decide. there's not. But that is the point. That's he right. Did something, he, again, he didn't just launch off on, on an idea, right. nor did he throw up his hands. He realized, actually, this does address a corporate value. Yes, that is very and important. So right I'm going to tie this to the corporate value, and consequently, it didn't get shut down That's immediately. Right. That's uh, right. Interrupted. Continue. That's fantastic. They gave him permission to try it because, as he said, it was second mile service. It was saying, hey, customers are already ordering ice cream. And they just want us to mix it up a little bit and turn it into a milkshake. We're just providing better service, go. which is honestly, it's it's brilliant that he challenged the process with such pure motives that he really wanted to stick to what they were all about. Uh, the second thing that I learned from Shane was that he he very quickly articulated the difference between what was core for them and what was peripheral. He said, listen, Clay, if this were a pizza, I would have never tried this. Right. If He said, even if this were barbecue wings, I would have never tried it. But because it was a milkshake and it was so close to a product that we already offered, I felt like that it was worth the risk. And I thought that was fantastic that he identified that so early on. And then the last thing that I learned from Shane was how well he communicated. You know, when you're trying something new that your boss may or may not be willing to sign off on yet, how you communicate about it is so important. You can't tell everyone, but you can't tell no one. And Shane, it seemed to me, he communicated like a submarine. He wasn't silent about it, but he was like a submarine, meaning he told a few important people, he got them onto his team quickly, and then he really didn't talk about it a lot. Now, he, when I asked him about this, he said, now, this was in the day where no one was Instagramming about the milkshake they just got <laughs> at his local store, which it would, be, it, it would be more difficult now because of social media. But I think if you have an idea right now that you think, you know what, this is going to be a challenge, this is going to require change, and it is going to be risky, you need to think through how are you going to communicate about this. You can't be stealth and tell no one. But you need to be a submarine. You probably need to tell, find a few advocates, tell a few people that can shut this down and get their buy-in, b- build consensus with them, and that will help you uh, mitigate the change. That's an amazing story, and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure there's more. I mean, I, I would like to have been a fly on the wall when he 
talked about it for the first time outside the context yes. of the store. And again, here's a great example of a great idea trickling up. That's right. And that's influence. And here we are talking about it. That's right. Yeah. And, and anybody who's had a Chick-fil-A milkshake, now you know the rest <laughs> of the story right. because everybody else imagined this was some corporate thing and they rolled it out to the stores and some of the stores were for it and some were against it and we got to have new equipment, but that's not at all how it happened. And the truth is, and many of our podcast listeners know this because they're super informed people, um, this is how innovation just about always happens. Hmm. It, it rarely happens at the top and trickles down. Hmm. It generally happens in a lab, in a garage, in the back of a store, um, you know, or, or somebody's just thinking about something that nobody else is thinking about. And as a leader, I want to have I want to have those folks in our organization. And the only way to get them, and the only way to keep them, is to create an environment where those ideas are recognized and celebrated. And that negativity isn't necessarily shut down immediately. And so, again, uh, everybody wants those folks in the organization. So the the climate, you know, the environment we create is so critical. And it's why so many of the things that we talk about on this podcast are so extremely important. So as we wrap up these two fascinating conversations, let's step way back. There are four kind of big ideas that you have in the book. Actually, there's more in the book, but four big ideas we've talked about these last couple of months. Review those real quickly, and then I'll wrap us up. How to lead when you're not in charge. Sure. So it's the, really four behaviors is what I would say. on the, and, and, and I, Andy, I, I mean this when I say this, but th- this is not something I'm trying to preach to other people to do. This is genuinely something I've been trying to do myself. So I've been trying to lead myself really well. I think that's the first behavior we've got to figure out is how do I lead me well? The second thing is how do I choose positivity? That attitude that you bring is so important. Thirdly, how, how, how can I think critically? How can I not become critical, but how can I learn to add value and make things better from whatever seat that I'm in? And then lastly, how can I reject passivity? It's so important to know that the gravitational pull is always going to be toward passivity, toward blame, toward victim mindset. But instead, how do I resist that? Figure out what can I pick up? How can I help? How can I bring value from whatever seat that I'm in? And I guess another way of saying all of that is good things don't necessarily come to those who wait. That's exactly right. <laughs> you got to step you up. You can start today. That you really can. is the truth. Yeah. You can. Absolutely. Wherever you are, whether it's your garage, your oasis of excellence. Oasis of excellence. Right. Clay, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for your time. And mostly thanks so much for your insight. Hey, to all our listeners out there, thanks for joining us. And to hear more on this topic and to learn more about Clay's fantastic book that's coming out, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, you can go to claysgroggins.com. That's claysgroggins.com. And be sure to join us next month for another fascinating conversation designed to help you and your team go further, faster. Faster.